Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. I'm Eleanor Balon. And I'm Jay Katanis. This season, we're exploring Filipino American Christian experiences from a variety of perspectives. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back, everybody, to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast, and this special Filipino-American-focused season of Centering. Uh, I am Gabriel J. Katanis, your co-host, and my partner, co-host, uh, Eleanor Bailon is not with us today, but has sent her regards to Dr. Jennings, whose work she and many others of us appreciate so, so much. And we're just delighted today to have a very special guest with us, a very gracious uh, conversation partner whose voice and whose words we know and have shaped us. And yet it's one of those relationships we have with Dr. Jennings where we feel like we've taken in so much or as much as we could of his voice and words and ideas. And we feel like we have a relationship with him, even though he doesn't yet know us in the same way that we know him. So we are really excited to have you here, Dr. Jennings. Thank you for your willingness to come on this podcast. And uh, we we are just really looking forward to this conversation. Let me begin with this little story before I uh, have you say a little bit about yourself. But Dr. Jennings has many things we could say by way of formal introduction. He's a professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale University and Divinity School. And we're so honored by the ability to read his works. I'm holding some right next to me in my desk. Uh, The Christian Imagination is one of his well-known books, along with After Whiteness and and many other works that are formative for those of us wrestling with Filipino-American identity and its relationship to theology. But, you know, in in 2020, which I can't believe is already two years ago, Mm. I was in the midst of, you know, pastoring a church plant and leading a community that was trying to respond to injustices, you know, the racial injustice ongoing and not new in any way, but resurfaced here in the city of Chicago, where I live and pastor. And our church during that year grew a lot because many people were wrestling with their place of belonging Mm. and they couldn't find a sense of belonging in their predominantly white churches, especially evangelical churches. And they were looking for a community where they might fit in and where the pastors and the leaders might be reflecting on their experiences and highlighting so much of what is often ignored in church life. And I remember gathering with a group of pastors, Filipino-American pastors from around the country. We still meet today, every week, two years later. And the first thing we did, maybe by my influence, was to say, hey, y'all, I know we're all wrestling with where Filipino Americans fit into this conversation on race. So let's read this book, The Christian Imagination. And, you know, something that I probably didn't realize at the time is that these pastors, they really wanted to read and learn, but they were in the middle of a lot. And so I would give them assignments every week to read and we would try to discuss. But then, you know, I felt so bad after a while because they would say, yeah, I'm sorry, man, I didn't do the reading. You know, we got somebody in the hospital this week. We got somebody else, you know, quarantine, et cetera. But my church also that year Mm -hmm. started to organize what we call Theology on Tap, where we would gather and discuss. And one of the foundational works for us in our church was this same book, 
And um, it has proven really, really important for us. We didn't know that theology could be written and done like this. And so we're honored. We're grateful for, for this. And I want to dive in with a question for you, Dr. Jennings. And you can say, you know, however you want to take this answer, we are glad to follow you uh, on it. In the Filipino-American community, one of the things we're always wrestling with is our colonial past. And one of the questions that comes up often in church, but also in our academic spaces, is how can I be Christian when Christianity and Christians were complicit in the colonization and violence of our people and our land? And I, I know you've heard questions like that in the past, and I would just love to hear your, your thoughts on that, how you would respond. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Jay, for inviting me on. I am so glad to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this since you first asked me, and I'm glad that we finally have found this time to, to be together in conversation. Yes. So thank you for the invitation. Well, you know, this is this is a question that you're right, um, that this question is asked a lot. And these days it's being asked with new urgency and new power, because for a lot of us who are Christian, that Christianity came to us from inside a certain kind of evangelicalism that uh, was so deeply wed to whiteness, so much married mm -hmm. to white nationalism, so much married to capitalism, that for many of us, trying to figure out uh, whether this, this Christianity is real, is a, it's, it is an ongoing struggle. Mm -hmm. so the reality is that we have to remember the historical trajectory we were in, which helps us situate this crucial question. So for all of us who became Christians, inside of the colonial operation. We all uh, are wrestling with um, that history. And that history has meant that there's been three fundamental responses to this Christianity, Jay. Uh, the first response, and so whether we're talking wherever the colonial hand was, these responses are there. So there were some who, when they heard about this Christianity, what they said is this is a bunch of garbage. This is just a bunch of junk. And don't even don't even come anywhere near me with this mess because mm -hmm. I don't have nothing to do with this. And um, that response looked at looked at that Christianity and said, you know, it's it's tied to death, it's tied to murder, it's tied to conquest, it's tied to thievery. I don't have nothing to do with this. It, this is this is ridiculous. So that's that's always been a response. Mm -hmm. The second response was people who became Christian, but they became Christian at the end of a barrel, a gun barrel pointed right at their heads, mm -hmm. at, the, at the point of a knife at their throat, which is they became Christian in order not to be killed. And so this, this mm -hmm. it worked like this. Okay, you want me to be Christian? I'm Christian. <laughs> but in truth, as far as they were concerned, Christianity was just a foil, just a, uh, a colonial custom that I had to accept mm -hmm. in order to survive. And so I have an appearance of a Christian, but I still practice my own indigenous, mm -hmm. my own native forms of religious thought, consciousness, uh, sacrality, and the Christianity is just a foil. And sometimes I might mix some of those Christian rituals and so forth inside of that, but I'm not committed to that Christian God. I'm committed to whatever I need to do to move my people forward. So yeah, you can call me a Christian, but... Remember, I understand Christianity simply be a colonial clothing or cloth that I wear in order to survive. And so that was the second response. People who, you know, it, it, it was loosely 
termed syncretism, which is not very helpful mm-hmm. historically, but what it is is really right, trying right. to wrestle with the fact that this was a, a faith presented to me in violence. And so I have responded by creating my own reality, or should I say sustaining my own reality inside of it. Mm-hmm. But then there was a third response. And that third response, people who became Christian, fully Christian, whether we're talking Catholic, whether we're talking Protestant, whether we're talking evangelical, whether we're talking Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist, it doesn't matter. They became Christian. But here with this number three, we want to think about this as an A and B, Jay. A are those who became Christian and fully accepted the colonial vision of themselves, that derogatory, negative vision of who they were, that they were heathen, demon-possessed, dumb, cowardly, however however negatively it was put, they accepted that vision of themselves as sinner. See, they were presented with a vision of, of themselves as sinner that had housed inside of it all this deeply cultural, derogatory, culturally damaging ideas tied to being seen as a sinner. And so for these folks, Their Christianity meant moving away from their cultural and communal and connections to land and place in order to become this transcendent reality of Christian. Mm -hmm. It's it's with 3A that people accept into themselves the idea that their peoples are backward. Christianity helped to help to launch the idea of backwardness. So they accept this idea that they're backward and being Christian actually puts them forward. Creating Christian puts them inside a kind of progressive vision of who they are. That's that 3A. But then there was, Jay, a 3B. And I always thank God for the 3B. The 3B are those folk, they became Christian. They became fully Christian. They accepted the creeds. They believed in Jesus as not only the Son of God, but God incarnate. But 3B folks said, but I don't accept, (laughs) I do not accept the way the colonialists are trying to present Jesus. I discern that they are presenting a false Jesus with the Jesus. They're presenting a false God with this God. That is, they have the the gospel they're presenting to me is wrong in how they're presenting it to me. Mm -hmm. How they were able to discern that difference. All we can say that this is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit, but they discerned a difference between the Christianity that was being offered to them and the Christianity that they ought to inhabit. And as some historians said, that they re- worked the Christianity. They, in a sense, they created a different Christianity inside the colonial Christianity. Now, here's the thing about it. All those responses I just mentioned, all those responses are not chronological. That is to say, you know, that one started in the 16th century, then stopped, then one started. No, they're not chronological. Hmm. Those responses existed and yet exist. Hey, listen to me. They existed and yet exist inside the same communities, sometimes inside the same churches, Wow! <laughs> sometimes yeah. inside the same families. And let's push it even further. Sometimes some of those responses are in the same person. 
So mm-hmm. catch me on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I might be one. <laughs> and then Tuesday, Thursday, I move all the way to 3B. <laughs> yeah. And if I, if, I run, if I run up to some, some people who, you know, are Christian but are acting crazy, racist, mm-hmm. sexist, homophobic, I might say, no, um, right now I'm back to one. <laughs> wow. So what does that mean? It means that the struggle against and yet for a real Christianity has always been with us and continues to be with us. This is why I tell people, it's not a problem if somebody really struggles with Christianity. It's not a problem if somebody thinks Christianity is a waste of time. It's not a problem if somebody thinks that Christianity has to be rethought. It's not even a problem if somebody moves from, say, number two to 3B back to number two, back to 3B. This is a part of the struggle that we're in to be Christian. But here is the thing that we want to keep in mind. The struggle itself, the struggle itself is redemptive. The struggle itself is already part of salvation. Because that struggle indicates that we realize that that we're not just dealing with the colonialist and their legacy and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we're also dealing with the ongoing work of God. And that, for us, is what we want to keep in mind. Wow. This is really helpful already. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm assuming as we have this conversation that most of our listeners will be somewhat familiar with your work, but, you know, I I know some may be new, and hopefully Mm -hmm. after hearing this, they'll desire to learn more uh, Mm -hmm. of what you've written and said. When you talk about the second or group two, Mm -hmm. a response to, I should say, I do think a lot about the folk Catholicism. Mm -hmm. That's one way we we talk about a lot of the, you know, the ongoing relationship between the formal Catholicism that is in many ways received from colonization, but also the indigenous religious practices and knowledge systems, which are both very much alive. Absolutely. And, and I can definitely see that. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. I appreciate that breakdown. Some people don't recognize that sometimes that you, you're looking at mirror projects going on. There are some people who are in two who are trying to honor and retrieve, and in the language I use, grab the fragments of their mm-hmm. indigenous sacred vision inside of a Christianity. But then there are those who are, in a sense, trying to do the same, but they're trying to do the same inside of a Christianity that is not the problem, but the resting place. Hmm. And so the challenge there is to see that these are mirror projects very often that need not be seen as um, canceling out one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was uh, with a group of Filipino-American theologians, religious scholars in the Bay Area this past week. And we got to talking about this tension or this, sometimes we call it explicit theology and implicit theology or these ongoing projects mm-hmm. side by side. And one of the first memories I shared from my childhood was my first visit to the Philippines. I was about four years old. And I saw a demon-possessed woman 
And, you know, as much as I can remember, that's what was happening. And she had to be held down, a very small woman by four large men mm. in the church. And then they called on the pastors, one of whom was my dad, to exercise through prayer mm -hmm. this demon from this woman who in due time was changed. Mm -hmm. She was weeping. She became herself again. She was no longer making the same kind of sounds or, or saying the same things as before they had prayed over her. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that my father comes from a dispensational Mm -hmm. background that is mostly cessationist regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. So the idea that people would, you know, have the power to cast out demons, mm -hmm. this, you know, formally is no longer happening, mm -hmm. right? The gifts of the Spirit have ceased, hence the word mm -hmm. cessation. But my father, despite, you know, embracing much of that formally, still was very much in this practice of you know, praying over this woman to exercise this demon from her. And it wasn't something he talked about very much, even though I asked him. It was just one of those, oh, yeah, we do that. Mm -hmm. We do that sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his system or systematic theology framework did not really have room for that. But in practice, it was there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> and that's a part of the reality for so many folks whose faith on the ground is different from what is, is announced at the, the denominational headquarters. Thank God for that. That's good. Yeah, we need that difference. Um, so I wanna I wanna ask a question mostly on behalf of my my colleague, director of formation, Eleanor. Uh -huh. um, she is a psychologist in training, and one of the things that is all through the Filipino American psychology literature and research is the work on colonial mentality. Yeah. And a lot of that is coming from this kind of 3A response you are talking about, right. where it, it's, you know, an uncritical rejection of anything that is indigenous or um, right. native to the Philippines and an uncritical preference for and adoption of anything that is colonial, whether through the Spanish or through the Americans in, in our case, and even in some ways, Japanese, Chinese, et cetera. Right. And, um, you know, I know you're familiar with that and Frantz Fanon and a lot of kind of where that language comes from. Yes. But that really is something that in the last few years, especially the last two presidential elections in the United States, mm -hmm. has been front and center. You know, mm -hmm. how do I wrestle with this Christianity when it's hard for me to know where it is simply colonial mentality and feeding kind right. of my self-hatred? Right, right, right. right and right. then you know, where it leaves room for the kind of 3B exploration like you're talking about. Um, but I would just love to hear your thoughts on that, you know, as an African-American, as a theologian, how do we move forward as we wrestle with colonial mentality? This is a, this is a crucial question you're asking, Jay, and it's, it's, it's such a pressing question across the planet. The, the legacy that we all have inherited from the colonial wound, as um, the philosopher Walter Mignolo has called it. We, what we've inherited from the colonial wound is an irrepressible, almost unrelenting mm -hmm. impulse to hate ourselves. Right. To hate. And so the challenge is, is how do we open up that architecture of that unrelenting, unyielding impulse to hate ourselves? We have to recognize where it comes from, first of all, 
obviously it comes from the way in which the true, the good and the beautiful, the noble has been given to us inside of a white aesthetic. And this was a part, this part of the legacy of the comparative hierarchy given to us through the colonialists with themselves as the anchor of that. So everything that was imagined that was close to the ideal white body was moving closer to not only what was acceptable, but what was desirable by God, (laughs) what God desired. And so, you know, we have to recognize that that reality, that comparative logic still rolls all around us. It's it's in in our media and it's, and Absolutely. these days, as so many folk are media drenched, mm-hmm. that, that 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 aesthetic, that white aesthetic, no matter how often people try to say, talk about, talk against it, we are that it's like we're in the water of that. And so we have to mm-hmm. that we have to be about an alternative aesthetic that it doesn't need to follow that format. It expands our visions of beauty, expands our visions of desirability. It expands it. So we expand it till the, till the old is broken open and it shatters in front of us. So the task is to expand a vision of beauty, expand a vision of what is good and true. And that work requires for so many pastors and so many churches to take up the artistic calling, Jay. Hmm. And those of us who are Protestant, you know, we have inherited that that iconoclastic legacy, which shuns the artistic, shuns the visual, pushes the visual to the to the very edges of what we understand our faith and our piety to be about. And so we, we need to, in a sense, first this first step is to embrace again, or should I say the second step is to embrace again the full work of the artistic. Every church is filled with artists. And by that, I don't mean that every church has a lot of artists. I mean that every church is filled with people who God has called to enter fully into their creativity, mm-hmm. enter fully into the power to make and create and to, uh, to establish a wider vision of what is true, what is good and what is beautiful. That's, That's what's necessary. Now, inside of that, we do have to critique. We do have to critique all efforts to narrow our visions of what's beautiful. And so here, especially with our young people, we, we need to engage them in constant conversations about what is beautiful. What, what's beautiful to you? What are you being told is beautiful? What, what are you being told is desirable? And we, we have to help them expand their palate, especially in those really tender, fragile, you know, the junior high, moving into junior high, moving into high school, where their vision, their aesthetic vision is being so tightly confined. And so what happens is that they internalize that. And even as adults, they still inhabit that. So we have to enter the aesthetic struggle, enter into it, man, in the name of Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit to expand the vision of what is beautiful so that we can lodge the words, you are beautiful, inside a larger reality and not a new reality. Yeah, that's great. There's so much truth in what you're saying, and I really appreciate that. So related to that, I think this raises a really important set of questions for those of us who are 
trained in ministry mm-hmm. and also those of us who are trained in academic theology because as you know and have talked about significantly the church in its kind of ecclesial formation and the academy mm-hmm. are in so many ways complicit in narrowing our vision but also of forming our aesthetic and even in that way teaching us some of us right to don't fit standard definitions mm-hmm. to hate ourselves in a way mm-hmm. or to marginalize ourselves and just take on all these other projects right that leave us and our own beauty to the side and so i just would love if you could talk about how we navigate the academy as people studying theology mm-hmm. and as people training for ministry how do we do that without losing who we are we we have to understand what we're what we're fighting against and and this is one of the reasons why i wrote after whiteness to try to mm-hmm. give people insight into what they're up against all of western education i'll be brief because we can i could spend two days talking about this but all of western education <laughs> is trapped inside one overarching vision of formation to form all of us toward this one overarching vision one overarching image and that is the image of a white self-sufficient man mm-hmm. who exhibits three what i call dismal virtues possession control and mastery mm-hmm. and you can you can trace almost all of the sorrow and pain that people especially people of color have experienced in the academy in leadership in the church and being trained for the church inside being forced to be molded into that man. Mm. So what, what, what has to happen? We have to recognize first the horrible Faustian bargain we made when we come to school. And what is that bargain? Whatever your dreams are, set those aside and take up my dream that man says to become me. Mm. And then I might let you pick it back up your, your dream, but you will have my dream first to look like, sound like, think like, act like me. The first challenge is to take apart that dreaming and move our dreaming back to the center. So we have to ask ourselves when we start this education journey, we have to ask ourselves when we start the journey in ministry, what has brought us into this? What has brought us into this? (laughs) And for most of us, it's one of two things. There are confining ways of being and thinking that I want to escape. And there's a different world that I imagine can happen if I give myself to it. So we want to take hold of those. But now here's the thing about it. At the heart, what I'm suggesting, what should be at the heart of all our work, at the heart of the entire academic enterprise, and in, in fact, at the heart of the work of ministry, is to cultivate one fundamental ability that is also one fundamental reality of my identity. What is that? To be someone who gathers people together. Mm. Jay, here's here's what's at the heart of education for us as Christians. Jesus gathers a crowd. That's the key. Jesus gathers a crowd. And that crowd, these are folks who would not want to be anywhere near each other, but they're only together because of Jesus. He gathers a crowd. That's the fundamental reality of education. We gather people together who will be together because of Jesus. And they're there together because of us. That is, we are the facilitator. 
We, we are just stating communion, as I like to say. And that's key, man. That is key. That's Every right. church, its intellectual ministry is, should be defined not by how many bells and whistles the pastor has behind her or his name, not by how many four-syllable, five-syllable words they use, not by how much Greek or Hebrew that they can recite from the pulpit or German or French. Deepest, most important characteristics should be how they bring people together who would never even imagine being together. That's that good. is the sign of ministry. That's yeah. the sign of ministry, right? And so if we make that the fundamental driver of our work, the end point of our identity, we can save ourselves so many tears of trying to look like, sound like, act like some European, mm. male or female. Right. Yeah, that's so real as you describe that. I think about the gathering I just came from and how you can very much see the way a person's ability to break into the academy and to kind of get that tenure track position is in very many ways tied to how much they present or can pass as the kind of person mm -hmm. that is held up as the example for all of us and to the extent that these people at the, the the gathering i was at to the extent that they could not fit into that there was a whole nother set of pain involved because they had tried for decades you know to get the grades write the articles make the presentations right build the cv and then to find themselves in a place where because they look or sound like this or they talk too much about such and such really they, they were disillusioned in a painful way there are a lot of very disillusioned folk who've come through the academy especially the theological academy mm -hmm. and who um even as you know now are leaving the church um leaving ministry and partly because of the 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 specific situation of the pandemic and every all the all the horrors that all of us have faced in these last couple mm -hmm. of years but what's also present is what you're describing now, the, the failure of becoming the white self-sufficient man. Mm. And there are so many people whose careers have been marked by a sense of failure because they have not become him. Or should I say more precisely, they have not been seen, have not been recognized as mm. him, mm. Have, having given so much of themselves to that formation. They haven't been told by the professors they've respected, but they have not been received the, the word of acceptance, the imprator of their Dr. Vaters and Dr. Mutters, as we say in the academy. Mm -hmm. but, be in, but inside of that, Jay, the, the, sad, the sad reality is that they've been robbed of the joy of learning, robbed mm -hmm. of the joy of being a learner. You know, as I said in, the, in um, After Whiteness, we must understand ourselves as fragment workers. And we're working, we're working yeah. with three kinds of fragments. That first fragment are the fragments of our faith that we've been talking about. That our faith has come to us in fragments. 
And the image I love to use is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he blesses the fishes and the loaves and he starts breaking it, right? Mm-hmm. And when they're done, what do they have? They have 12 baskets full of fragments. That's mm-hmm. a great way to think about what we have in terms of, of the faith, in terms of the knowledge. It's these wonderful fragments that we have. And our task is to weave those fragments together with others. So, and that's what it means to learn to, the joy of playing in the fragments. But that, that's the first fragment. The second fragment we have are the, is the fragmentation. This isn't positive, but we have to try to make it positive. It's the fragmentation of our, of our cultural realities and of our peoples due to colonialism, the breaking up, the shattering. And so we're trying to work with, we talked about earlier, we talked about that two and that three B, people are trying to take the fragments and piece them together. And what it means to be involved in ministry and in the academy is to do, take those two realities and fragments and weave them together. Weave the fragments of our faith to the fragments of our cultures, right? And other people's cultures as well. We weave it together quilt-like. That's what we're about. But then there's a third fragment, as I I mentioned in After Whiteness, that third fragment, we're pushing against the ongoing constant commodification of our peoples and our ways of life and our very bodies. We're pushing against being turned into a commodity frame. But that's the work. That's the work that's supposed to be at the heart of education, not trying to present ourselves as this white self-sufficient man who knows everything, mm-hmm. but to present ourselves as those who are fragment workers, pulling it all together with others. Now by ourselves, we're doing this as a joint project. Just like quilting, just like quilting. It's beautiful. And that book, of course, and the poetry in it is just so life-giving. In many ways, heartbreaking though, because it does uncover so much of what you've described that we may not realize we're part of. Yeah. And I think about that so much as someone, you know, I finished my PhD in 2021 and I have since kind of been in this place where you know, are we going to remain in, in full-time vocational pastoring mm-hmm. or are we going to consider a transition into academia if one opens up? Mm-hmm. And that raises so many questions, even feelings, Yeah, you know, where it's like, well, what are the things that they're looking for in order to, for the person who's going to get that job? And, mm-hmm. and how much am I able to mm-hmm. become that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or how much will I lose by leaving my congregation, who, in my case, the predominantly Filipino American, it really grounds mm-hmm. me in my community. Mm-hmm. It's so tempting, Dr. Jennings, to want to be that man, you know, Absolutely. In, in the ways that you're describing that person, it, because it is such a part of how we've been taught to desire. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, that the, is the, real. Challenge, the challenge always, Brother Jay, the challenge always is to discern what the spirit of God is saying to you. That, that's always a challenge, but it's a beautiful challenge because the spirit of God is, isn't um, toying with you. The spirit of God makes it clear by working inside your desires and, and opening doors and closing doors that, that need to be uh, done in that way. So, you know, the, the academy is great work, but so is the church. The church is a place where you are being with God's people, but so is the academy. And so, as I say to folks all the time, you know, just follow where the spirit is leading you. But, but what you just said is, I think, is crucial. Whatever you do, don't do it in hopes of becoming that man. Mm. Do it in hopes 
of bringing people together. And that, if you can hold that at the center, then you won't, you won't find yourself chasing that man instead of following the spirit. And many people do, they chase that man. I, I once had a dear friend, he spent so much of his career trying to get a job in the academy. Hmm. And he was pastoring. And, and at some point in time, he realized this is where God wanted him. <laughs> it, 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 it just, it was a slow, slow recognition. And the dream he had for himself needed to yield to the dream that God had for him. And that's always a challenge, isn't it? To yield to the dream, yield to the dream. But as I like to say, this is always the key, key reality of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is that? Yielding to the spirit. I, I always say this, and, and I'm not having anybody contradict me on this. I don't think it's ever a struggle to figure out the will of God for one's life. The struggle is to stop resisting mm. what the spirit of God is saying to you. The struggle is to yield because I I say this to my life. The spirit of God has always been tapping on my shoulder. Said, Willie, Willie, Willie. Now, what do you want me to do? Willie, Willie, Willie. <laughs> so you, if you yield, yield, if you say, I, I, I tell my students all the time, I want you to go home and say God, I yield to your spirit. Make that a part of your morning prayer. And I can promise you, in a very short time, it's going to be pretty clear what God's dream is for you. Wow. Now, what may also become clear is why you don't want what God wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. It will become clear. But yeah. I have yet to have somebody say, you know, I tried that, and I have still have no idea. No, I've not had anybody. And I've been at this for a long time. Wow. I'm feeling really fortunate right now that folks are listening in on this pastoral counsel that you're giving because <laughs> a lot of our listeners, as this is a podcast from Fuller, are in this process. It's mm -hmm. not just me, but for many of us, this is a journey and we have these forks along the way, if you want to call them that. I have two more questions, Dr. Jennings, because we're limited on time. I'm just going to move into these because this is a real opportunity for our community to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And the first is a little bit different from what I just asked, mm -hmm. but it relates so much to what is in the struggle for ethnic identity or Filipino-American identity specifically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about your commentary on Acts, which mm -hmm. I love and has proven so helpful in church as well. And one of the things you talk about is this situatedness between empire and diaspora, right? Yeah. And if there's something in that commentary, besides the many things that the Filipino-American Christian community can really identify with, it is that set of struggles yeah. being between empire, right? And the desire to assimilate and become that man. And then diaspora, the desire to be our own people, yes. Yes. To, to have a place of our own and a name yes. of our own, and our yes. language, et cetera. And I, I would just ask you this really loaded question. If there's time, we can get into it. If not, we can pick it up. Another <laughs> you know, we are so separated, mm -hmm. fragmented, broken mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. If we grew up in the United States or North America or in the diaspora, mm -hmm. we want to go back, right? Uh, yeah. We want to connect with who we are, our ancestors, ancestral lands. But in so many ways that the, the realities of connecting are buried. Mm. For example, like my father's birth certificate in 1946 right. is in English and Spanish, mm -hmm. not in Filipino. Mm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then for me to try to trace my roots back, you know, the, the language is, is so mm-hmm. under layers of colonialism, it's difficult to access. And, you know, I, I would just wonder if you could give some advice to those of us, you know, as a professor also of Africana studies, right? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do we connect with our roots and our identity, our land, when so much of that is in some ways like not accessible? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a question so many of us are wrestling with, right? I mean, it's part of the fragment work. So, so what has to happen is that you, you work with the fragments by means of memory, story, history, archive, your quilt workers, your quilt workers, you're taking pieces to put it together. But here's, here's what you want to always shun, because this is a, another horrible curse of the colonial mind and that is it's the curse of authenticity mm, yeah let all the curse of authenticity go mm. because to be a fragment worker then you think about a quilt okay but you took this piece th- th- this piece belonged over there i said okay that that ain't there no more all i got is this piece <laughs> it speaks about that over there that's great, but this is what I have. And I'm going to weave it with this piece. And then I'm going to weave it with this. But wait a minute now, that piece ain't got nothing to do with your culture. That's okay. I'm in the process of weaving. And it's that process of weaving that allows me to touch past in the present aiming toward the future. It allows me to pull it together. So I'm, I'm in the work of creating and recreating. I'm in the work of remembering and creating new memory. And that, that's what I'm doing. But now here's the thing we want to keep in mind, my dear brother, and this is why it's so important, you know, as we think about life between diaspora and empire, I can invite, I'm diaspora, I can invite others, not of my diaspora to be a part of the work of retrieval. I can invite others to engage in this work, as I like to say. And this is, I want all your listeners to hear this, because this is part of the legacy of a Christian. The legacy of a Christian is this. It is not that I know my story, know my people's story, honor my people's story, remember my people's struggle, honor my people's struggle. The point is that you do. That you know my people's story. You know my people's struggle. You honor my people's struggles and stories. You make it a part of you, and I'll make your story a part of me. And guess what? My story has now expanded into you, and your story has expanded into me. And so the diaspora has expanded. Yeah. Not by eradication, but by expansion, right? The diaspora has expanded. And so our life together becomes the carrying forward of a project of a people with a people that is also a people. Now, this is the difficulty for so many of us, right? Because for so many of us, it's a zero-sum game. Right. Either your people are remembered and thrive or my people are remembered and thrive. Hmm. But for the Christian... It is something different. For the Christian, it's our stories together. None are forgotten. It's good. None are thrown away. 
and our children and our grandchildren live multiple stories inside the one story of a God who created and redeemed. That, that's, that's where we're going. So that's the work that has to be done. That's the work that has to be done. The Spirit's work like that is, is revolutionary, as you've said. I really love that. Okay, so this is my last question for you. And I'll give you kind of a, the choice of how you want to think through and respond to this. But you, we've talked about so much of what is happening in, in our community as Filipino Americans, as Christians, mm -hmm. who are mostly second generation, third generation, coming mm -hmm. into themselves in this work of theology and ministry. Mm -hmm. What blessing or what might be your hopes for Filipino Americans who are wrestling with these things? Or what challenge might you give to us as we try to understand our place in God's story? Listen, you know, I, I think we, we've already said it, but I want to just reiterate it. I, I think the challenge is twofold always. First, it's um, embracing the call to self-love. That's the first challenge always. Mm -hmm. The call to self-love. And to be and to be aggressive, aggressive in that call to self-love. And then part two of that is the call to expand one's love, hmm. to expand one's love, to include include those around you and be aggressive in that expansion. Now, here is of course the difficulty, right, Jay? Many people can't don't believe that they can do both of those things. Right. Right. But, we, but we come back to the fundamental summary of the law that our Lord gave us. Hmm. What is the great commandment they asked Jesus? To love oneself and to love God. To love, to love God <laughs> and to love yourself, to love your neighbor, right? Hmm. Hmm. This, this is the command. And so, you know, we, we have to be about that radical self-love, yeah. radical love for others. And we do so as those who are already deeply, deeply inside the love of God. That, that's what's ahead of us. So I would say to my dear Filipino sisters and brothers, continue on in this struggle against the sound and the voices and the shadows and the memories that turn us toward self-hate. Continue against the struggle against that and continue in the work, the fragment work of weaving together with others, a new possibility, an expanded identity. That, man, that's a lifetime of work right there. Hmm. Dr. Willie Jennings, you've given us so much and we are so grateful for your work, for your voice and for your friendship. Thank you. My pleasure. It has been a joy to spend this time with you. And I look forward to another conversation. Absolutely. You're always welcome. <laughs> Thank you.